Today, we'll read correspondence written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer and how they are relevant to current events. Again, everybody, this is uh, Jason Powers, and today we're going to discuss uh, Dietrich uh, Bonhoeffer. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on his uh, life and times. Um, he uh, lived during uh, the early part of the 20th century. Uh, he was born in 1906, and and he was uh, executed in 1940 uh, 45 under the um, under the rot. Uh, cruel Nazi regime. So we're going to read a letter that he wrote uh, regarding, um, I guess you could say, humanity in a way. Um, he was facing down the, he was a pastor and uh, he was a, um, um, uh, a leader in the church of a uh, German church around the time that the Nazis came to power. So we're first going to read his letter, and then we'll further discuss uh, his biography. Stupidity is a more dangerous enemy of the good than malice. One may protest against evil. It can be exposed and, if need be, prevented by use of force. Evil always carries within itself the germ of its own subversion and that it leaves behind in human beings at least a sense of unease. Against stupidity we are defenseless. Neither protests nor use of force accomplish anything here. Reason falls on deaf ears. Facts that contradict one's prejudgment simply need not be believed. In such moments, the stupi stupid person even becomes critical, and when facts are irrefutable, they just push aside as inconsequential, inconsequential as incidental. In all this, the stupid person, in contrast to the malicious one, is utterly self-satisfied and 
being easily irritated, becomes dangerous by going on the, the attack. For that reason, greater caution is called for than with a malicious one. Never again will we try to persuade the stupid person with reasons, for it is senseless and dangerous. If we want to know how to get the better of stupidity, we must seek to understand its nature. This much is certain. That is, in essence, not an intellectual defect, but a, hum but a human one. There are human beings who are remarkably agile in intellect, yet stupid, and others who are intellectually quite dull, yet anything but stupid. We discover this to our surprise in particular situations. The impression one gains is not so much that stupidity is a congenital defect, but that, under certain circumstances, people are made stupid, or that they allow this to happen to them. We note further that people who have isolated themselves from others, who live in solitude, manif manifest this defect less frequently than individual or groups of people inclined or condemned to sociability. And so it would seem that stupidity is perhaps less a psychological, is l less a psychological than a sociological problem. It is a particular form of impact of historical circumstances on human beings, a psychological con uh, concomitant of certain external uh, conditions. Upon closer observation, it becomes apparent that even strong upsurge of power in the public sphere be it political or of a religious nature, infects a large part of humankind with stupidity. It would even seem that this is a virtual, is virtually a social, a sociological and psychological law. The power of the one needs, the power of the one needs the stupidity of the other. The process at work here is not that political human, uh, particular human capacities, for instance, the intellect sudden atrophy or fail. Instead, it seems that under the overwhelming impact of rising power, humans are deprived of their inner independence and, more or less consciously, give up establishing an autonomous position towards the emerging circumstances. The fact that the stupid person is often stubborn must not blind us to the fact that he is not independent. In conversation with him, one virtually feels the one is dealing with not at all with a person, but with slogans, catchwords, and the like that have taken possession of him. He is under a spell, blinded, misused, and abused in his very being. Having thus become a mindless tool, the stupid person will also be capable of any evil and at the same time incapable of seeing that it is evil. This is where the danger of diabolical misuse, misuse lurks. For it is in this that that can once and for all destroy human beings. Yet, at this very point, it becomes quite clear that only an act of liberation, not instruction, can overcome stupidity. Here we must come to terms with the fact that in most cases a genuine internal liberation becomes possible only when external liberation has preceded it. Until then, we must abandon all attempts to convince, convince the stupid person. This state of affairs explains why in such circumstances our attempts to know what the people really think are in vain and why, under these circumstances, this question is so irrelevant for the person who is thinking and acting responsibly. The word of the Bible, 
that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom declares that the internal liberation of human beings to live the responsible life before God is the only genuine way to overcome stupidity. But these thoughts about stupidity also offer consolidation and that they are utterly forbid us to consider the majority of people to be stupid in every circumstance. It really will depend on whether those in power expect more from the people's stupidity than their inner inner independence and wisdom. Dietrich Bonhoeffer from After Ten Years in Letters and Papers from Prison Dietrich Bonhoeffer Works, English, Volume 8, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Fortress Press, uh, 2010. So, that's quite a letter and quite an insightful analysis of um, by uh, Mr. Bonhoeffer. He was a German Protestant theologian who was ex- executed in Flossenburg concentration camp on April 9th, 1945. Um, uh, he has a biography written up at the Holocaust uh, Encyclopedia, and I'm going to read some of uh, a few parts from this just so you have an understanding of who, who he was. He was born in Breslau on February 4th, 1906. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was the sixth child of Karl and Paula Bonhoeffer. After completing his theological studies, he served as a German-speaking congregation in Barcelona, Spain from 1928 to 1930. He studied at Union Theological Seminary in New York from 1930 to 1931. During that time, he attended the Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem and became deeply interested in the issue of racial injustice. He also became active in the Protestant ecumenical, let me say that again, movement, making international contacts that, after 1933, would prove crucial to the Confessing Church and for his time in the German resistance. So... Let's go on here. The German Evangelical Church under National National Socialism. With Hitler ascent to power, Bonhoeffer's church, the German Evangelical Church, entered the most difficult phase in its history. Strongly influenced by nationalism and unsettled by the chaos of the Weimar years, many Protestant leaders and church members welcomed the rise of Nazism. In 1933, a group called the German Christians Deutsch Christian uh, began to promote the Nazification of German Protestantism through the creation of the pro-Nazi Reich Church. The German Christians wanted Protestantism to conform to Nazi ideology, and they pushed for implementation of any any of the state Aryan laws within the churches. The German Christians claimed that Jews, as a separate race, could not become members of the Aryan German church through baptism. So that's just a background on on what was going on at the time. Um, So, for example, one of uh, the church and the Jewish question. So he wrote an essay, and this at that time would have been 1933, so he was only in his mid-20s, I think he was like 27 when he wrote this. One of Bonhoeffer's most famous texts was his April 1933 essay, the Church and the Jewish Question. <clears throat> Addressing the challenges facing his church under Nazism, Bonhoeffer in this essay argued that National Socialism was an illegitimate form of government and hence had to be opposed 
on Christian grounds. He outlined three stages of his opposition. First, the church was to call to question state injustice. Secondly, it had an obligation to help all the victims of injustice, whether they were Christian or not. Finally, church might be called to put a spoke in the wheel to bring the machinery of injustice to a halt. The essay reveals the complexity of Bonhoeffer's thought and action. It was one of the earliest and clearest repudiations of national socialism, revealing his early op opposition to the regime. On the other hand, the theologian, theological section of the essay also contains the traditional anti-Semitic teachings that for centuries had characterized Christian understandings of Judaism, and Bonhoeffer argued that the Jewish question would ultimately be resolved through the conversion of the Jews. He never explicitly abandoned this view. So, like anything else, his views at the time were nuanced, yet he, I think he saw that there was no, um, he made the, made the assertion, or asserted, that uh, obviously the Nazi uh, regime was illegitimate, and that everybody should fight, um, fight their rise to power. Many people are unfortunately mis misinformed about what yeah what the basis of this uh, Nazism is in terms of the fact that it involves corporate power, involves uh, obviously government control of everything. Um, many people look at uh, the the socialism aspect, and they 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 focus more on the nationalism and they focus less on the socialism aspects of. Uh, of the 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 monster that was the the regime, and not realizing that by by example, uh, the very regime that they wound up making a pact with, uh, the USSR or the Soviet Union under Stalin, Stalin was just more of a explicit globalist object objective. Um, the idea was to to turn all countries into a socialist state and then eventually push toward uh, socialism is just a intermediary state step to getting to comp full communism which full communism is never achievable because the government never disappears there's always going to be a totalitarian regime at the very top there's always going to be uh elites in this world because there's always going to be people who are going to grasp for power at the heart of every matter is the fact that power is uh, applied and they use people. They use the forces of divide and conquer and people against each, uh, turning people against each other. And they use evil and stupidity, as Bonhoeffer uh, wrote in his letter, to uh, achieve that goal. So, for example, I know many people will think of the fact that the, the Trump movement, they look at the MAGA movement or the Trump movement as a, some kind of crazed movement uh based upon some some uh, you know using uh trump as the figurehead and 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 com made the the false comparison here's some one of the one of the key aspects most of uh most of the stupidity that exists in the world happens to come from people who who collectivize easily they have to be hyper social they like to group um our friend uh our uh, not-so-friendly but uh, uh, insightful person on leftism, uh, Teddy Kaczynski, said the same thing. He said leftism is about collective collective power, um, the, 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 the formation of that. Whereas if you look at people who are individually on the right or people that are more conservative, they tend to be more individualistic. And while people on the left will consider people on the 
right stupid, they're just projecting their own stupidity into that because many of the people that I've met on the left and at one time in my life when I was younger, I used to be more left-minded. You fall into the catchphrases and sloganeering and whatnot and you don't think very deeply about things. Whereas the right is always looking for a more new, when I look at rightism, or I guess you could say um, more of a nationalistic point of view, which is what we're, what we're arguing about here, what this current situation is about, um, at least on a grander scale. Um, the idea is, is that uh, to be liberated and have freedom and have a, a firm connection to one's country and, and, and the aspects of freedom and the rights that you have are very individualistic. That's why we have a Bill of Rights. It's the reason why there's a first 10 amendments. It's why it is served us well when applied appropriately to all people, no matter what their um, background, sex, race, gender. And yes, there have been injustices throughout the course of the time that we've been a country. The point of those injustices, though, is to learn from those mistakes like anything else. But instead of in learning from these mistakes, we're now seeing the polarizing of extremism. And the extremism is not coming from uh, what people perceive as the, the right. In fact, as it is being driven by people who are a more, more, more uh, poisonously aligned with extremism on the left. And I think we know that. I think if anyone pays any attention to what's going on in D.C., they should be very well aware of that. The things that are coming out of people's mouths, in particular, uh, using um, using harmful rhetoric against the entire population and labeling people based upon their uh, uh, based upon their race, I find it repulsive that people like Nancy Pelosi can sit up there and and throw out the, throw out uh, racism and use use very loaded language to get what they want. It shows the level of their mentality. It shows a almost Hitler-esque type of point of view about things. And it's very dangerous. Somebody like Nancy Pelosi should be immediately censored for, censured for that and she should be removed from office. She is not competent and she's not stable. And that's not even going to, uh, going to her president who has shown that he is incapable too. He is co corrupted. He is uh, he's an inarticulate, considering his position. Um, he shows an inability to answer questions. He shows lapses in judgment. He shows lapses in ability to finish his uh, thoughts and sentences in a pre-scripted situation. It's one thing, like myself, to just you know I'm talking about a a, a very broad subject matter. And there is a great deal of uh, information that needs to be digested and tried to encapsulate it into a podcast. So I, I'm not trying to get off the point here with uh, uh, our pastor Bonhoeffer, but he sensed these things, and so did others in Europe and other people who were in Germany, and he was a part of the resistance. So... We'll move on to the next session, which is 1933 through 1940 in his life. <clears throat> Bonhoeffer's outspoken political opinions isolated him within his church, and throughout the 1930s, many of his activities were focused abroad. He reported regularly on events in Nazi Germany to 
ecumenical uh, Protestant leaders in Europe and the United States. In, 19, in September 1933, he attended the Ecumenical World Alliance meeting in Sofia, Bulgaria, where he spoke about the Jewish question and the delegates passed a resolution condemning Nazi actions against the Jews. Bonhoeffer took a copy of the resolution to the German Council in Sofia to prove that Nazi policies were damaging Germany's image abroad. The leaders of the German Evangelical Church in Berlin demanded that he withdraw from the ecumenical activities. Bonhoeffer refused. From September 1933 to April 1935, Bonhoeffer served as a pastor to several German-speaking congregations in London, leading him to break with the official German church and joining the Confessing Church. In April 1935, Bonhoeffer returned to Germany, where the Confessing Church was under increasing pressure from the Gestapo. Most church leaders refused to openly oppose the Nazi regime and criticized their colleagues who did. As a result, more radical confessing Christians found themselves embattled on all sides. Bonhoeffer began to train young clergy at an illegal confessing church seminary, uh, Finkelwald uh, Walding, where, which was closed by the Gestapo in 1937. Bonhoeffer spent the next two years secretly traveling through eastern Germany to supervise his students, most of whom were working illegally in small parishes. The Gestapo banned him from Ber Berlin in January 1938 and issued an order forbidding him from public speaking in September 1940. So, resistance activities. Bonhoeffer became informed about different German resistance plans in 1938, through his brother-in-law, Hans von uh, Donani, uh, Nan uh, Nanji, yeah, I think that's the way it was, D-O-H-N-A-N-Y-I, it's difficult words, so who worked in the justice ministry and was one of the earliest opponents of the regime. In October 1940, Dohani used his connections to help Bonhoeffer avoid military service, obtaining an assignment for him in the Office of the Military Intelligence, led by Admiral Wilhelm Canaris, the Military Intelligence Office, became the center of the German military resistance groups that eventually culminated in the, night, uh, in the July 20, 1944 attempt to overthrow the regime. On behalf of the military intelligence office, Bonhoeffer made several trips outside the Reich between 1941 and 1942, informing ecumenical act contacts in Geneva and the Vatican of the, of the resistance plans. The first deportations of the Berlin Jews to the east occurred on October 15, 1941. A few days later, Bonhoeffer and Frederick Perels, a confessing church lawyer, wrote a memo giving details of the deportations. The memo was sent to foreign contacts as well as trusted German military officials in hope that it might move them to action. Bonhoeffer also became peripherally involved in Operation 7, a plan to get the Jews out of Germany by giving them papers as foreign agents. After the Gestapo uncovered the Operation 7 funds that had been sent abroad for the uh, immigrants, Bonhoeffer and his brother-in-law, Hans von Dohani, were arrested in April 1943. Bonhoeffer was initially charged with conspiring to rescue Jews, using his foreign travels for non-intelligence matters, and misusing his intelligence position to help confessing church pastors evade military service. After the failed July 20, 1944 coup attempt, 
His connections to the broader resistance circles were uncovered, and he was moved to the Gestapo prison in Berlin. In February 1945, he was taken to Buchenwald, and in April moved to Flossenburg concentration camp. On April 9th, he was hanged with other conspirators. His brother Klaus Bonhoeffer was also executed for the resistance activities, as were his brother-in-law Hans and Rüdiger Schlitscher. So, a reason why this is important is resistance and sacrifice is going to be needed um, in the forthcoming time frame. Uh, We are in a crisis that people really don't want to admit is happening. We have a crisis of government. We have a crisis of of understanding uh, the the level of the level of malevolence that we're feeling from DC, the fact that we're operating under a uh, a weak at this point a weak di- dictatorship. Uh, recently rolled out was the COVID passport uh, in New York, and there's been rumblings that they're trying to make this a, a nationwide uh, thing. And they're using the power of the the corporations that we have in this country to um, achieve that goal. And what that is doing is trying to isolate, uh, trying to put people in camps, you know, that you can't have access to things based upon your ability to have this vaccine and have this passport to track your uh, whereabouts and gone goings. This is totally unconstitutional. Uh, it violates the Fourth Amendment. It violates the First Amendment. Um, um, it violates pretty much every principle that is ever the entire Constitution exists under. Uh, it's right now we're de facto under a under a soft form of martial law because we have too many governors that are going along with this because they're all being complicit in this entire uh, experimentation. Many of this, much of this is being driven by the Chinese Communist Party uh, since they have infiltrated and or control our president. They control his family. They have, they have all his uh, dirty laundry, and I'm sure they're using it to um, exploit his behaviors. And he is, uh, in, in, in looking at him, he's not going to last very much longer. And I say that just, I'm not saying that, I'm just saying his... Uh, his decline is, is apparent, and it's only going to get worse. And then you're going to have two women, uh, Kamala Harris and Nancy Pelosi, who are probably conspiring right now to come up with some other plan as they go forward. And currently they're trying to shift the, the, shift the focus on the border problems and these situations back to COVID because COVID is a convenient excuse to do everything. And they're using corporations to censor censor us uh off platforms take they've been the government has been using them explicitly to uh achieve their goals and the fact that even when they have hearings they're never doing anything in these hearings which lets you know where where they really where the government's uh, objectives really lie which is in they want to control the entire country they want to control your life and it and it will be very difficult to explain this to a stupid person who believe, still believes in the narrative that has been spun up for the past year. Uh, and as as I've tried to explain, 
I don't have to necessarily agree with anything the, the prior administration did because the prior administration is no longer in, in charge. If, if, uh, if the Democratic, uh, if, if uh, Joe Biden was his so-called leader, he would have taken expressively different um, actions ever since he's been in office. But he made it explicit what he was going to do, and he's carried it right out. So I don't know why anybody would have ever went along with this. And whether you believe in any kind of fraud or not, the fact that if we if we ascertain and say that 81 million people voted for him, what does that tell you about our country? We have 81 million stupid people who would allow this guy to be running your country. So how could that be the case? It's cogn- It takes a lot of cognitive dissonance to think that this guy is the most popular president ever, and yet he can't get a he can't get anybody to rally for him or present any um, uh, overt vocal support. So what does that tell you? It tells you that the people that are in charge of this country are are not the people that voted for him. The people that are in charge of this country live in and around Washington D.C. and are a part of our. Uh, I call them, you can call them the deep state, the swamp, you can call them whatever you want to call them. I call them the district of corruption because they're all morally corrupt and bankrupt as they bankrupted this country for the last 20 years and they have a refusal to accept any uh, consequences for their actions. And they have the power, the levers of uh, power at their disposal. And they use the January 6th event, much like uh, the Nazis used the uh, the Reichstag event, or um, yeah, use that in the same same manner to uh, seize power, to seize control of all levers of the of the government, and to bring down the hammer on the rest of us, because they they can't they will never ever ever face the amount of evil that they're trying to incorporate into their plans on this country. They have taken over this country, and they are going to continue to take over this country, and. I'm just saying it now because I I feel this more and more every day. I've felt this for months. I've felt this since last year. I know when I've been I'm being played and um you know a good thing about my life is I've spent a lot of time alone and so I've had to do a lot of thinking, a lot of thinking about survival. So I know that's a little bit off the course and I think I'm going to leave it there for today. Um I think we're uh, we can we can overcome this but it's going to take a lot more people to uh, to wake up to the fact that these things are going on and it's going to take a lot more than just you know people who were supportive of a certain a certain uh, political candidate uh, it's going to take people that you know detested that political candidate but know that there's a greater there's a greater uh, message to be had here if you think that things were bad uh, under Trump, you have no idea what it's going, what's coming, and you're not going to be prepared for it when it does happen. Right now, we are in the midst of a national crisis that needs to be expressed over and over again. Dietrich Bonhoeffer did that. He fought the Nazi regime for 12 years, and he wound up dying. Sacrifices to be made. And I hope people will remember the ones who made those sacrifices at any point during this time. Remember, uh, remembering, remembering
they love their country, they love, they love their, uh, uh, their way of life, things that they, they uh, value the most and treasure. You shouldn't besmirch somebody for wanting their life and their liberty and their ability to run their own life. So, with that, God bless America.